Welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 26, coming to you live. Hope everyone had a, a wonderful holiday season and getting prepared here for the new year for 2021. Hopefully 2021 is, is a little bit better than, uh, than 2020 was for us. Uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, live from Indianapolis, Sam Philman. Sam, how you doing today, man? Uh, doing good. I mean, it, it was a pretty good week. I, I do say myself, we got a little bit of a Christmas gift for not only us, but our listeners. So yeah, it, it was a pretty fun week. Yeah, no doubt at all. No doubt. Uh, some great stuff. A lot of stuff to get to this week. So um, let's go ahead and, and jump right into it here. Starting off, we got a couple stories coming out of men's basketball, some schedule changes, players of the week, stuff like that. You want to break that down for everyone? Uh, yeah, so if you want to check out things after we uh, relay everything, you can go to the getsomeaction.com site as usual. But just some um, postponements. You have Ohio at Miami on December 29th, postponed December 30th, Bowling Green at Kent State. You have a couple games on January 2nd, postponed, both Buffalo at Akron and Miami at Central Michigan. January 5th, you have two games as well. Uh, Eastern Michigan at Buffalo and Bowling Green at Miami. And to kind of compensate for that, they've decided to move some things around. They moved uh, Bowling Green, Ohio to December 30th at 2 p.m. from uh, Tuesday, March 5th. You have Central uh, Michigan at Akron moving up four days from January 5th to January 1st. Akron at Eastern Michigan from January 9th to January 5th. And Central Michigan at Bowling Green from as well as uh, January 9th to January 5th as well, Zach. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Uh, this is just something we've kind of gotten used to over the last few months, right, with like the NFL rescheduling games and playing games on Tuesday nights. There's actually a game being played today uh, here in the MAC. So we're recording Wednesday, uh, December 30th. And, um, you know, the, the Ohio-Miami game that was supposed to be scheduled yesterday was postponed because of COVID issues at Miami. And then the Bowling Green-Kent State game, which was supposed to be played today, was postponed because of COVID issues at Kent State. So the MAC opted to just say, hey, uh, Ohio and Bowling Green, both of your games got uh, canceled. You don't have any COVID issues on your rosters. Why don't you two play? So it's kind of been like a last second thing, another adjustment to the, to the schedule there. Kind of just one of those things, Sam, where these teams, they got to be nimble and, and on their feet at all times. You never know what's going to happen with the schedule. And they're, they're, they're changing games, you know, 48 hours in advance. It's crazy. Yeah. What's cool is unlike college football, they're not actually canceling the games because you have so much flexibility. So you have Ohio at Miami. If it was football, you would have just said, let's cancel it. But with basketball, you have the flexibility of all seven days. And they were like, Hey, Bowling Green, you have some time off, go play at Ohio. And, and it, it may be unfair because you don't have a lot of time to play for each other, but they're both on even ground. They didn't expect to play this game earlier than they did. But it is what it is. You have to adapt, and hopefully it'll be an exciting game today. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. So that's I think that's the name of the game this year is going to be flexibility, right, as, as we try and get through this season, try and have an NCAA tournament uh, after not being able to have one next year. So um, the, the MAC is doing what they can. They're doing their, their best right now to keep everything flexible, and uh, we, we, we certainly uh, compliment them for that. Um, as far as actual on-the-court stuff here over the last week, Sam, um, we had some announcements came out the other day, just in terms of the men's and women's basketball players of the week. If you wanted to run down that for, for everyone right now. Oh uh, yeah. I'll start on the men's side of thing. Uh, Lauren Christian Jackson um, got named Mac uh, men's uh, player of the week. Uh, he led Akron to a 90 to 71 over Ohio with the 21.8 assist performance. He shot seven of 16 from the field. I mean, we all know who, how good Lauren Christian Jackson is last year. He was named uh, Mac um, player of the year. Wasn't he? He was, yes. So, yeah. So, like, we all know how dominant he was. He he led uh, Akron to a, a just dominant victory over who we thought was really good in Ohio, but Akron just proved how good they were. Yeah, they really did. And, you know, I, I've watched uh, Akron play twice this season thus far. I watched them play St. Bonaventure, which was their first game against a Division One opponent, and then I watched them play um, Ohio. Uh, the, the other day. 
And I tell you what, both games I came away, it was night and day for Akron. You could tell against St. Bonaventure that it was their first game against D1 competition. They did not shoot the ball well. They turned the ball over a ton. And it was like watching a different team, watching them play against Ohio last week. I mean, that game was never really that close. You never got the sense that Ohio was going to be able to get back into that game. They were down 10 at halftime. So uh, Akron really seems to, to be making some strides forward here. Whereas Ohio, you know, we were all kind of high on Ohio a few weeks ago after um, that season opening uh, or that that near miss at Illinois. And they seem to be coming back to earth a little bit. So we'll see how they're able to kind of right the ship over the next few weeks here. Yeah. And I and I think it's more interesting the fact that we didn't really know what to make of this Akron team. They hadn't played a game until like just a couple of weeks ago. They've only played four games up to, until this point. We didn't know how Akron would look. They've lost a few starters only really had Lauren Christian Jackson as their main star returning. So it was it was my surprise how just dominant they looked against Ohio. And, man, Akron looks as good, if not better, than last year. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we'll, we'll certainly uh, – We'll talk about the Zips more later in the episode, but you know, they, they, it's not just Lauren Christian Jackson for them this year. You know, they got the Brian Trimble has, has stepped up. He had uh, a 20 point game against Ohio, a 22 point game against Ohio last week. And then you also, you got, you know, uh, daily as well, who's up near averaging right under 10 points. So they got, they, they've had some guys step up on that team this year, which is certainly encouraging if you're a Zips fan. No doubt. And moving on to the women's side of thing, instead of Akron this time, we're going to be talking about Buffalo Daisha Fair. I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing her name right. It looks right. So I'm going to say that she had a game high and season high 30 points, six rebounds and six assists in a 21 point win against Western Michigan. Similar to the Lauren Christian Jackson thing, just had a total dominant performance in a, in a blowout win against a fellow Mac school. Yeah, certainly a, a great performance from uh, from Daisha against the Broncos. She's fourth in the MAC in scoring currently at 21 points a game. So um, she she's right up there with some of the best scorers in the MAC, best offensive players uh, in in the MAC. Also, um, shout out to um, Sonera Snakes from Eastern Michigan, uh, the the redshirt sophomore who was a runner up for for the basketball player of the week. This is again, this is a, a sophomore that's really. Um, really starting to establish herself. She has 12, uh, she, excuse me, she has three double doubles this season. Uh, she got her third last week against Drake when she had 20 points and 12 rebounds in a, in a, in that contest. So, uh, some, some good young talent there for Eastern Michigan. And, you know, we keep saying it every week, Sam, but this, the women's side of basketball this year in the Mac is really loaded with a bunch of teams and a lot of individual talent that, that, uh, you know, there's, there's five or six teams in the, in, in the conference, I think that have a legitimate shot to win it. Yeah, no doubt. You you look at Ohio with CC Hooks. You you mentioned Sanaris Gaines out of Eastern Michigan. You have Daisha Fair uh, coming out of Buffalo. There's not really, I think, a separation of talent. Uh, we talk about each week just how low the MAC is from from the top uh, Bowling Green all the way to Akron uh, at three and two. It's really a level playing field, and I think that would that's what excites me the most is you don't have really one or one or two teams just separate yourself at the top. You currently have one, two, three, four teams with the perfect two and O conference record. So it, any team can win any um, day, as we know, in college basketball. But I think that especially rings true in this um, Mac women's season. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, Sam. And uh, we'll, we'll, as I mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll break down in a little bit more depth later in the show here today, what's going on on, on the, uh, on the hardwood uh, as, as we move into January here, as, as conference play picks up a little bit. Uh, continuing on with the news, though, uh, some, some rough news, some things you're probably not too uh, surprised to hear if you're a Buffalo Bulls fan. But, uh, Sam, a couple of their, their stars from their football team this year just declared for the draft. Yeah, unfortunately for Bulls fan, you have both star receiver Antonio Nunn and um, uh, everybody knows who Jarrett Patterson is at this point. Uh, he's also declaring for the NFL draft. So just uh, just a lot of uh, talent being lost for Buffalo this season. I don't think anybody's surprised that either of these guys are declaring for the NFL draft. But what it brings me to, Zach, I think we may see a few more with the amount of uh, declarations for the draft is a lot more uh, Mac kids being uh, drafted this upcoming NFL draft. Yeah, I agree. I think in rounds, you know, three, three, four, and five, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, prospects in those mid rounds that I think are going to see 
uh, get some hard looks from NFL teams. You know, we, we talked last week about Manny Rugamba, the, uh, the cornerback from Miami of Ohio. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a couple other guys there at Miami along the O-line that, that I think could hear their name called. I think with Jared Patterson, I don't know what else he could have showed this year on film to entice an NFL team to draft him. I mean, 1,072 yards in six games basically is absurd. And, um, you know, they're, they're, he did everything he could do. He proved everything he could do uh, on a football field this year. Antonio Nunn as well. He's another guy that because they were so good at running the ball, uh, he didn't. He kind of got overlooked a little bit for the Bulls this year, but he's still 37 receptions for 584 yards, 15.8 yards per catch. You know, this is a guy that's a, a burner, right? Anyone that is as fast as Antonio Nunn, an NFL team can can find a way to use him. So I agree with you, Sam. I, I think this year in April, uh, when the draft rolls around, we could see a lot of Mac guys getting drafted, and I'm here for it. Yeah, and you mentioned Antonio Nudd. I mean, a prime example is when Ball State shut down the run in that MAC championship game, just the impact he had. They're playing like 10 yards off uh, the line of scrimmage. He had 13 catches for like 180 yards. Uh, just a complete dominant performance. So he's kind of an afterthought uh, times of the the Buffalo's offense, but he's someone that's definitely scary. But I don't think, like you said, Jared Patterson could have done anything else. I think his hype would have been, was at the highest this season his draft stock would have been the highest this season with all the talks about him being a potential Heisman finalist and all that I don't think even with another season it would it would do it would remain the same at best I don't think you could go any higher so I I think it was smart for Jared Patterson even though it's sad to see him leave and skip his senior season for the NFL draft that he 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 decided to take his talent to the NFL draft but I think I think what who this helps is his partner in the backfield in Kevin Marks for next season. He's going to be handed the backfield unless they decide to uh, do similar this season and have a um, committee backfield that that it's going to be Kevin Marks's backfield. Yeah, certainly. I, I think this definitely paves the way for Kevin Marks to be a star next year. He's already a star, but I think, you know, nobody's taken anything away from Jared Patterson, right? Jared Patterson is the lead back in that backfield. And I think we could see a big year uh, coming from, from Kevin Marks uh, next year for the bulls. The one, one other thing I wanted to say before we move on here, Sam is I just, I want to give another shout out to Antonio Nunn because I feel like he really does get a little bit overlooked with everything else that Buffalo does, right? They're so dominant running the ball. They don't always have to pass the ball to be successful and Antonio Nunn knows that and understands that. And he doesn't complain about that, right? He accepts his role on the team, you know, as much as he'll have, like you mentioned, against Ball State in the conference championship game, you know, 13 receptions, 182 yards. The week before that against Akron, he only had one catch for five yards because Kyle Van Treese only had to throw the ball seven times. So, you know, Antonio Nunn is not a guy that complains about that, right? He understands his role in the team. And as long as the team is winning, he's happy. So I, I have to give a shout out to him there. And I think any NFL team that gets him will be excited about his attitude and his kind of team first mentality. Um, I, I, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that kind of brings me to a point that it just seems like this Buffalo team is just a full of unselfish people when you look at it you you obviously have um the relationship between Kevin Marks and Jared Patterson they don't complain they just they just appreciate each other's talents and I think what they do is they realize their time will come when they're they're called upon to do what's needed and to step up and when they do the the film will show the NFL guys that hey maybe he didn't have five a thousand yard seasons or whatever the case is but you could see the athleticism here throughout the season yes he may not have a thousand yards on the season but his athleticism jumps off the tape when he's called upon yeah no doubt at all and I think that's a definitely a um a, a tribute to the to the coaching staff and, and Lance Laypool there at Buffalo and, and and the culture that they've built so if you're a Bulls fan you're certainly uh sad to see Antonio Nunn and, and Kevin Marks or I'm sorry and Jared Patterson go they've been a, a part of some great teams and some great moments at Buffalo here over the last few years obviously they've gotten uh, their first two bull wins in, in program history so best of luck to, to Jared Patterson and Antonio Nunn I know we're going to be excited to see where they end up uh, hearing their name called in the NFL draft and where they end up playing on Sundays. Um, one last news story here that we wanted to cover, Sam. Uh, Ball State pulled in a transfer. It looks like a pretty solid transfer from a Power 5 program. 
Yeah, Ball State just went out and got a uh, Power 5 name you mentioned. Um, it is uh, ex-Arizona receiver Stanley Berryhill. I think this has to do with uh, the um, departure and dismissal of Kevin Sumlin, who was replaced by Jed Fisher. Jed Fish, uh, my bad on that. Um, yeah, so he announced on Twitter that he's committing to Ball State, and he was so he was the um, Arizona's leading receiver last year, so this is a big get for the Ball State uh, Cardinals. Yeah, that's, I mean, anytime you can get a transfer from a Power 5 program, you got to consider that a win. This is a guy, not only did he, was he on, in a Power 5 program last year, Sam, I understand Arizona wasn't any good, but he was Arizona's leading receiver last year. I mean, he had 23 receptions, 227 yards, and three touchdowns, average 9.9 yards per reception. So, you know, when you got, um, you know, you have some question marks at receiving for Ball State, right? Justin Hall and Johannes Taylor, those are those guys that are seniors. You don't know if they're going to come back and, and utilize that extra year of eligibility or not. And um, with that, it's always good to have some depth at your at wide receiver at every position. But anytime you can go out and add a power five talent uh, to your, your receiver room, I think you got to do it. So I think this is a really good get for Coach Mike New and, and the staff in Muncie. Yeah, e even if they do stay, you still have the depth. I think um, their their receiving court this year was uh, loaded, but you have uh, guys who who stepped up this season. Um, uh, Magahi, especially as a freshman yeah. coming in, uh, four catches, like three touchdowns. Just it just had a great uh, freshman campaign for the Cardinals. You have him. You have question marks with Justin Hall if he's going to be coming back. Antoine Davis. This is his sixth year, so he could potentially come back for a seventh. We don't know the the status on him so it's just really up in the air for cardinals i think this is a good uh good get he still has two years of eligibility left so the the more you can add the better with all these question marks and i think this is a good give for um uh mike new yeah i i agree completely and you know even when you look at arizona's season this past year and you look at uh barry hill stats uh, their, you know, their first two weeks of the season, they played USC and Washington back to back. Those are two teams that were scheduled to meet in the Pac-12 championship game until Washington had some COVID issues. But I mean, in those two games, he combined for he had 13 catches for 135 yards and three touchdowns against two of the best teams in the Pac-12. So this is a guy that could come in and do some things for, for Ball State next year. I'm sure uh, the whole program is, is excited to uh, to bring him in. And it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate uh, Stanley Berryhill into the office next year or into the office, into the offense next year. Um, yeah. Sam, any, any news stories, anything we missed here before we move on to Twitter and some other things? Um, not really. I think um, this was a loaded um, general news uh, section and I, I think we covered it pretty well. Cool. So moving on to uh, our next segment here, the, the Twitter question of the week. Uh, and we had asked, you know, since 2021 is right around the corner, if you had to sign a New Year's resolution for your Mac school, what would your New Year's resolution be and why? And Sam, I thought we got some some really good responses here from the folks. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to actually start from the bottom to the top because why not? We're switching things up. It's 2021 around the corner. So uh <laughs> Uh, so starting off with Reese Timbrook, um, he's a reliable guy. He, um, he, he chimes in regular and we appreciate him. He said, Leffler, find a new quarterback. Why check uh, Matty Max final 2020 stats? And you can um, see the graphic if you look at our question, what he's saying. So it was 2020, 54 completions, 123 yards, 43% completion percentage, 712 yards, a touchdown and six picks. I think we all know who he's referring to. Yeah, you know, um, we all had expectations, high expectations for Matt McDonald this year and, and somewhat high expectations for Bowling Green. I'm not saying we expected Bowling Green to, to compete for the conference or anything, but we certainly thought they would be a little bit better this year than they were last year and just seemed like nothing could go right for the Falcons, unfortunately, this year. Um, yeah, Matty uh, McDonald did not look great. That's not to say that he, he won't improve over the offseason. He didn't have a ton of weapons around him in Bowling Green this year. But yeah, I, I certainly think if I'm Scott Leffler, I'm on, out on the recruiting chair right now. I'm, I'm certainly looking to see if there, there might be someone else out there that we can bring into the quarterback room next year for some uh, some additional competition, at least. Yeah, Zach, I, I think it's one way to phrase it, and there's only one way to go up and go, go, and that's up for this Bowling Green program. And I don't think it would hurt to try someone else out if they have a potential uh, freshman that they really like to potentially develop 
or if they can potentially land a transfer, which we've seen from Central Michigan, we've seen from Ohio. These big um, name guys, quarterbacks are transferring into the MAC. So why not see if you could go uh, land yourself one of those? But yeah, I think I think for Bowling Green to to at least have some semblance of hope for 2021, you need to start somewhere, and I think that clearly starts at the QB position. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, with with the way that you know football is becoming so passing oriented nowadays. You know, you, you got to have a quarterback if you want to be successful. And you think about a place like Bowling Green, where they're used to having a prolific offenses and putting up points and just hasn't been that way the last few years. So I certainly uh, we, we certainly we, we feel your pain, Reese. Yeah. And moving on to the next one, we have a, a Jake at Jacob P. Roberts uh, said at Ohio football to actually win a Mac title in my lifetime. Yeah. You know, it's having. um Ohio's football legacy and and how good they've been over the last 20 years with Frank Solich, 15 years uh, with Frank Solich. It's crazy that they haven't won a MAC championship since what is it, 1953? I think was the last time they won a conference title. Um, you know, they've they've been there so many times. I shouldn't say so many times. I want to say under Frank Solich, I think they've been to the, the the title game three times, if I'm not mistaken, and they just haven't been able to pull out a win. I mean, this is a program that's been consistently good for 15 years, and they just haven't been able to get over that hump. Yeah, I, I think uh, Jacob P. Roberts was uh, saying what's on my mind before the season hit, and I was like, yes, I want Ball State to win a MAC title in my lifetime. They they somehow accomplished that, and I yeah, I, I think I echo everything you're saying with just the dominance of Frank Solich. It's just surprising how they just haven't been able to get it done. They they've been they've been good, but they just haven't been good enough to do what's needed to win a MAC title, and that's sad to see because I think Frank Solich is is a really good coach who just hasn't been able to pull the trigger and get a Mac title, which I think he rightfully deserves before he, um, whenever he decides to, to leave the Ohio program. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I just looked it up while you were talking, Sam. It's been since 1968 was the last year uh, that Ohio won the, the championship in football. And um, also have to correct myself, since Frank Solich was hired, uh, in 2005, they've been there four times and they've lost four times. So unfortunately, they just, again, haven't been able to get over that hump. They've, they've been right there. And, you know, with some, they got some young talent on that team that they had this year. So maybe next year, if they can hold, hold some guys and, and have some continuity on the roster, maybe, maybe next year uh, will be the year, Jake. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, next up, we got uh, Scott Wojcic and uh, Rocket Ryan. Uh, first, Scott said, for Toledo's success on that field of match, it's recruiting success. And Rocket Ryan said, yes, what he said. I, I think, I think uh, like everybody, I, I think every Toledo fan wants this to happen. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. And, uh, you know, I, I feel, you know, to any Toledo fans out there listening, I, I want to be very clear. I feel like anytime we bring the Toledo football team comes up on our podcast, I, I feel like I'm being critical. And, and I just, I, I just want Toledo fans out there to know that like, I, I echo this sentiment from, from Scott and from Ryan. I think with the way that Jason Candle recruits and the fact that they've had the top recruiting class in the conference for the last, what, three years now, maybe four years now, I just, the, the, the talent that they bring in does not translate in my mind to the, the results as they should on the field. I don't think there's any reason for the last three seasons that Toledo shouldn't have been in the hunt to get to Detroit for the conference championship game. I think this year they had just as much talent as ball state last year. They had just as much talent as central Michigan and they just haven't been able to put it together. And, and it's, I can only imagine how frustrating that is to be a Rockets fan. Yeah, and I think it just boils down to expectations. And when you have just high expectations and you don't deliver on it year after year, everybody gets frustrated. And I think I, I just, I, I think it's more. I'm not, I'm not being critical at Toledo necessarily. It's just the expectations you had. You just can't deliver. It's like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like being a like um top 25 team expectations every year like Alabama expectations let's uh, say and then just not being able to get like five or six wins each season it's frustrating for Rocket fans I know it has to be but it's just like frustrating to watch you have all these guys come in all these highly touted guys best of the Mac can bring in and then you just can't deliver with just 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 talent 
Yeah, and I think the thing that to me is frustrating about Toledo is just there's so many ups and downs with Toledo, right? There's there's not a lot of consistency uh, in the Rockets program. So you have games like whenever uh, they play against Eastern Michigan. I think that was week three or week four of this year. And that was the best they looked all season. And you think you watch them play that game and it's like, man, if Toledo played like this every week, they'd be one heck of a team. But then you watch them come out in the first half against Ball State, even, you know, I'd say even the first three quarters against Ball State and they in a game that they had to win and they they were looked like they were sleepwalking and they weren't ready to play. So I think there's something within, you know, the the leadership there and something that the coaching staff's going to have to change because, you know, we, we we've said it many times, Sam and, and Scott and Ryan agree with us, you know, as far as talent, they have as good a talent as anyone does in the conference. It's just a matter of being able to, uh, you know, translate that and, and you know, take you develop that talent and turn it into wins on the field, which they certainly haven't been all that successful with here over the last couple seasons. So moving on to the next one, we have Rob, Rob Calhoun uh, that said that every Ball State alum who tunes in to watch Ball State football makes a $50 donation to the football team. You know, that's a that's a cool suggestion there, Rob. And I also I got to say, when it comes to Ball State and the football team, they they do a phenomenal job on Twitter of like promoting the team. And it's been really cool. Like they've been posting videos of like former players and stuff as it was leading up to the conference championship game and stuff like that. So that's not really building on what Rob said, but I just wanted to give ball State's social media team, the football team, that shout out because they do a great job. And I, I think something like this that Rob is suggesting in terms of like making a donation to the program. I think it's a great idea. I think it's, a, it's something that a lot of schools could utilize and are utilizing, you know, they got to replace their lost uh, revenues somehow from this year with, you know, not being able to sell tickets and stuff like that. So um, I think for a team like ball state that's exceeded all expectations this year and won a conference championship and gotten to a bowl game. I agree with Rob. If you're an alum of ball state or a fan of ball state's team, why not, you know, donate a couple dollars or whatever you can afford to help them out a little bit, because again, you know, they, they, they couldn't have, the very limited fans in the stands this year. So many, so many revenue streams got eliminated that that would certainly help out the program. I would say I would give a $50 donation if I wasn't already giving thousands of dollars to the, to the school. <laughs> That's valid too, man. That's valid too. So, but yeah, I think Rob's point is valid. Uh, the athletic departments have been trying to recoup everything that they have with the cutouts we see on the football uh, team. Now we uh, switch over to the basketball uh, stand where you can purchase a cutout and have it placed in the stands for uh, you to see on national television, which is a cool idea. But yeah, it, it, I, I know we have uh, several uh, successful uh, Ball State alums, whether it's Jason Whitlock or the Danny Pinchers or the Willie Sneed. So I'm sure I'm sure they can afford a $50 donation to the football team, just saying. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Le- lean on some of those NFL alums and uh, see if they can open up the pocketbook a little bit. Exactly. But uh, moving on to our last one, we have C. Dell Britton uh, saying, get out of Division One football while the game's good. And I believe he's referring to uh, Akron on that. Yeah, he is. And I, I guess I get where he's coming from. Um, but I but if I'm Akron, I don't I'm not dropping out right now because I think I've, I've got my coach. I think I saw a lot of really, really encouraging things from my team this year. A lot of young guys on that team. It seems like Akron is building their way back up to. Uh, you know, being competitive in, in the Mac in football. I don't see any reason they built that new stadium like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Now it's a probably still, I would say one of the nicest stadiums in the Mac. I don't see any reason for Akron to drop out of division one football right now. I, I get where he's coming from in terms of, you know, finances and stuff like that. But I think if I'm, if I'm Akron, I'm, I'm staying the course. Now. I've already been through the worst days and I think the, the arrow is pointing up right now. Yeah, I, I think, as you say, you you have your uh, head coach of the future. I think these these players buy into what uh, uh, Tom Arthur is saying. We see that. We saw that in the game against Bowling Green. I think you see a blueprint for potential success, maybe not next year, but potentially two, three years down the road. I think these teams, these players can rally around Tom Arthur. Maybe you won't be a Mac powerhouse anytime soon, but I think you can slowly build your way up if you're in Akron plant, we saw uh, several uh, times, maybe not in the box score, but just several points in different games, whether it was the first half against Kent State, we say that Ohio game that they almost won, the Bowling Green game, 
we we've seen several highlights where we can see the potential that Akron has. They just haven't been able to um, do it for a full um, game yet. So I think I think over time we'll see Akron's improvement. I'm not saying it'll be next season, but I don't. I think like you, Zach, I don't think there's any real reason to get out of Division One football right now. Yeah, for sure. And let's also not forget. You know, we're, we're, we're talking and, and we've talked throughout the season as if Akron is this team that, you know, hasn't been competitive in decades or whatever, hasn't had any success. This is a team that went to the MAC championship game and a bowl game just three years ago. In 2017, Akron was in the MAC championship game. They lost to Toledo. They went to uh, the Boca Raton Bowl and they lost to Florida Atlantic when Florida Atlantic still had Lane Kiffin. This is a team that, can, you know, they, they were very good just three, four years ago. So it's, it's going to take some time to get back to that. But I don't, think they're, I don't think they're too far away. So thank you again to everyone that continues to respond to our weekly Twitter questions. We'll get another one up here uh, this week. Uh, Sam, anything we, we didn't cover with, with Twitter or the news segment, anything like that? Anything you wanted to add? Uh, I don't think so. I think a uh, shout out to everybody who responded to our Twitter question. I'll, I'll try to come up with some uh, for this uh, next episode, but yeah, I, I think we covered everything uh, sucks uh, to all you Buffalo Bulls fan to lose both Jared Patterson and Tony Anon and potentially a couple others. I could see uh, leave, but yeah, I, I, I think we uh, covered everything uh, pretty good. So then uh, moving on to, uh, to football, um, we have uh, a couple, obviously, our, our two Mac Bowl games, right? So Buffalo took on Marshall um, on Christmas Day this past uh, this past Friday, and Ball State taking on San Jose State here uh, tomorrow. We're, so again, we're recording on uh, on Wednesday the thirtieth. So Ball, uh, Ball State taking on San Jose State uh, New Year's Eve um, in Arizona. Uh, but Sam, uh, Buffalo picked up their second straight bowl win, their second bowl win in program history on, on Christmas day against, uh, against Marshall. Um, another nice game from Kevin Marks and, and, and the running game for the bulls. Yeah. I, I, uh, tuned into this game on Christmas day and it was, it was quite interesting. It wasn't the, the highest scoring game, the, the most flashy game, but it was definitely an exciting game from start to finish. No one team could pull away from the other. Buffalo had a lot of chances that they could have put up like 30-plus on Marshall that they just couldn't deliver on. And, yeah, it, it, it turned out into a, a lot scarier finish for Buffalo. But Buffalo fans, uh, to their credit, they, they got it done. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Kevin Marks scored the go-ahead touchdown for the Bulls. Uh, with a minute nine left in the game, he gave him the 17 to 10 victory. Uh, Marks finished the day. So Jarrett Patterson, it, he was going to try and go. He, it looked, you know, there were reports leading up to the game that he was going to play, uh, but it turned out that his his leg just, you know, he he wasn't able to get any significant action. Uh, Kevin Marks though did carry the day, 35 carries, 138 yards, and that game deciding touchdown in the fourth quarter. Kyle Van Tree, 16 for 27 for only 140 yards. Uh, Antonio Nunn, four catches for 49. I think for me, Sam, you mentioned that this was a lower scoring game than, than a lot of people thought it might be. The, the story for me in this game was the Buffalo defense, Sam. I mean, they limited Marshall to 248 total yards of offense, 3.6 yards per carry, 5.2 yards per completion. And, you know, I think Marshall got had that one long touchdown drive in the second quarter where they went 12 plays for 75 yards. But other than that, Sam, I mean, they, they really couldn't get much of anything going at all all day. And, you know, Buffalo, I really give credit to Buffalo's defense for that. Yeah, uh, you, you, the, I think what sums it up is that last drive when you had uh, two sacks and three plays for Buffalo to just kind of close it out by um, Eric Black and Gaddafi Wright for being able to step up. But what was interesting to me is on that touchdown play, how they could have ran off a potential 40 more seconds and yeah. not really let Marshall have a chance to score a touchdown, really, when you think about 20 seconds, how, like, what's the, the probability of them scoring a touchdown? So it was just interesting to see Kevin Marks run in that touchdown when they could have easily burned off 40 seconds. I get it. You don't like your field goal kicker, but you're telling me you can't put it, punch it in with Kevin Marks, or we saw McNulty hit a field goal earlier in the day. So at least they had one on the season. So he, he does have the ability to at least hit some field goals. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and and that was something that was a little bit uh, odd to me as well at the end of the game. Kind of seems like basic kind of strategy game management there to run it down as low as you can and then, uh, you know, obviously 
you know, leave him with as, as little time as possible. But yeah, they opted not to do that. I think probably a big part of that reason, though, Sam, is just like you mentioned, the, the defense was in the backfield all day for Marshall. I don't think Marshall did anything on offense uh, throughout that day that, you know, would give anyone confidence that they were going to be able to go down and tie the game with, with just a minute left. Like you said, um, two sacks and three plays on that last drive for the bulls. They finished today. They had four sacks on the day as a team and six tackles for loss. I, uh, you know, in, in the battle between the runners up of the two conferences here, right. Uh, you know, you got the runner up of the Mac and then the runner up in conference USA, the Mac came out on top of this one, which is, you know, these are two conferences that always seem to get compared throw the mountain West and the Sun Belt in there too. Um, so it's, I think anytime a Mac school can pick up a win in a game like this against a conference USA opponent, it certainly bodes well for the conference. Yeah. And, and I think, I think when uh, you mentioned earlier, Jared Patterson sitting out, I think when I saw him sit out, I knew he was thinking about declaring for the NFL draft just to prepare himself kind of like the same situation with Caleb Huntley, where there's nothing really left to prove. And I think Buffalo was heading into a direction of, Hey, let's see what we have for our uh, future. And that's Kevin Marks. And we saw him be able to just deliver 35 carries 138 yards and a touchdown just an absolute beast and I think Buffalo was like hey let's game manage um uh uh Jarrett Patterson whether it's Jarrett Patterson's decision or whether it's uh the coaching staff's decision to um to sit him on this one but yeah I I think this was a clear just sign of the future and I think Buffalo fans definitely have to be happy with what they have yeah, no doubt. And I think as long as they have that O-line intact up there, they're, they're going to be able to continue to run the ball and churn out running backs. And I think probably the biggest victory for the Bulls thus far this offseason is that Lance Leipold is still their coach. You know, there, there were a couple of power five coaching jobs that came up that people thought, you know, he was in, in the hunt for one of them being Illinois. Uh, there's there's been a few others as well. And, and thus far, he has uh, chosen to remain at Buffalo. So certainly good news for uh, Bulls fans and, and good news for, for the strength of the conference uh, moving forward for him to stay there, given what he's done over the last six years at Buffalo. Uh, moving on, we have one more Mac Bowl game, as we mentioned, uh, on New Year's Eve, Ball State traveling to Arizona to take on the San Jose State Spartans, who um, upset Boise State in the Mountain West Championship game last week. Sam, we got not only two conference championships, uh, excuse me, two conference champions in this game, but two of probably the best stories, most surprising stories in, in college football this year. Yeah, no doubt you have uh, San Jose State, who's actually ranked. I see some uh, things calling them the 19th rank, and I see others uh, calling them the 22nd ranked. I don't know. Let's get on the same page. Let's let's choose one <laughs> yeah. to call them. But yeah, I think I think um, you mentioned two story. I don't think anybody expected, unless you're within those programs to have San Jose State Spartans and Ball State Cardinals winning their respective conferences. I think you would generally people would say Buffalo versus Boise State. That's just the general feel I would have heading into the season. But yeah, San Jose State having a nice run of themselves led by Nick Starkle, who recently announced on Twitter that he's coming back for the season. But yeah, I think this is going to be a fun game between two uh, champions. I know both presidents on Twitter of their of the respective uh, colleges are having a bet of some sort. Really not sure on that um, side of things. But yeah, this should be a fun game to watch. Yeah, I agree. And I tell you what, the the thing, the matchup that I'm looking forward to in this game, Sam, is going to be that high-powered Ball State offense against the one of the best defenses in the group of five this year in San Jose state. I mean, they, they um, allowed only 17.9 points per game this year. That would have been first in the Mac. Uh, they really shut down uh, Boise state in the conference championship game uh, last week and, and really limited them. Uh, they're, you know, 13 best scoring the 13th best scoring defense in college football right now are the Spartans. You also mentioned Nick Starkle, the transfer from Arkansas, who has finally kind of found the home there for San Jose state and, and found some success. Um, this is an, an interesting note here. Uh, Ball state going into this game, having never won a bowl game, they're zero and seven all time in bowl games. San Jose State is actually on a four-game winning streak in bowl games dating all the way back to, uh, to 1990. Their two most recent outings were 2012 Military Bowl and the 2015 Cure Bowl, which they won uh, both of those games. I also think it's interesting, Sam, is that 
this is another kind of a story of two programs that have kind of shown patience with their head coach who hasn't given them the results they wanted in the first few years. Right. We've talked a lot about Mike new on this show and how, um, you know, the last couple seasons in Muncie have, have been a little bit disappointing and San Jose state uh, is in really a, a very similar bro- uh, boat with their head coach, Brent Brennan. He was brought in back in 2017 and um, after a couple of really bad seasons for the Spartans, he went two and eleven and one eleven in his first two years, and they finally, uh, you know, they stuck with him, and he gives him a seven and zero season this year. Yeah, I, I I think I saw Brent Brennan recently got an extension. So shout out to him for getting extension. But I think the matchup I'm looking forward to is Tyler Stockton versus the offense of Nick Starkle. Really, you see Ball State uh, uh, defense at times early struggle, but then Tyler Stockton can make the adjustments necessary to slow down the offense later in the game. I think that's key to the Western Michigan game. That was key in the Buffalo game where you saw those early points. But eventually over time, Tyler Stockton made those adjustments to uh, kind of slow down the offense to give uh, the Ball State offense enough uh, chances to come back and win the game. So I think that's going to be a, a key is, yes, you may see Ball State's defense struggle early on against Nick Starkle, but can they make adjustments uh, long-term to, uh, pull out the, to, to pull out the win? Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, that that's a great point you make because – uh, when it comes to this offense for San Jose State, I know I just talked about their defense a little bit, but this offense is is nothing to to sneeze at either for the Spartans. I mean, Nick Starkle this year, uh, 1,906 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions, 65% completion percentage. I mean, this is a guy who's playing really, really good football for uh, for San Jose State right now, finished last uh, his last game out against uh, Boise State in the Commerce Championship game, thirty two for fifty two for four hundred and fifty three yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah, you're right, Sam. I think uh, Tyler Stockton is going to have his work cut out for him in this game. But I think if I'm a Ball State fan, I'm pretty encouraged by the game plan he put together against Buffalo in the conference championship game last week. And I, after seeing that, I feel pretty confident that he can watch, you know, they'll watch the, they've been watching the film this week and they, they'll put together a package that that'll help. I don't know if it'll be, you know, trying to get pressure on Starkle or if they're going to drop more guys into coverage, but they're going to have to find a way to slow down this passing attack. Yeah, I mean, he's only been sacked five times. I think San Jose State's played, what, in seven games? So that's less less than a sack a game. So I think it's up to Anthony Ekpe, it's to Joshua Tarango, it's to Chris Ajang, I can't pronounce his last name, but you know what I'm saying. They're they're transfers up front to get pressure on Nick Starkle because – We've seen it. We saw it against Buffalo, that how good their offensive line was, but Ball State was able to get pressure. They were able to uh, stop that running a sh- rushing attack, but it's kind of difference in this San Jose State's team's a lot more passing happy, so they're probably going to have to force San Jose State to rush a lot more, even though that they have a, a guy who's averaging eight yards per carry in Tyler Nevins, that you're probably going to have to do the opposite that you did against Buffalo. Yeah, it's it's true. And that's that's a funny thing about San Jose State is that throughout this season, they've been very pass happy. Tyler Nevins has kind of taken over these last two games, his last two games of the year, 152 yards came against uh, Hawaii and then 184 against Nevada. So he did have two solid games to end the season, though. But you're right. Throughout most of the year, they've kind of shown themselves to be a, a pass first team. So it is interesting, you know, Tyler Stockton is going to have to figure that out and see how they, they want to attack that. I didn't realize that stat, though, that San Jose State had only given up five sacks all season. So it seems like that front seven for Ball State uh, will have their work cut out for them. Um, so what do, what do you think? I mean, we've talked about the matchups a little bit here, Sam. We talked about the game itself. Your prediction as, as a Ball State uh, fan, having watched the Cardinals uh, play their best game of the season last week in the conference championship game against Buffalo, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, I, not a lot of people counted them to win the game against Buffalo. They, I think they were, the spread was like 13. I think it's a similar case against San Jose yeah. state. I think San Jose state's the spread is like nine or eight or 10 at this point. I'm not really sure. I haven't kept track, but ball state's coming out an underdog. And I think that this is what this season is a ball state season of underdog. Not a lot of people gave them slack in the Buffalo game and they came out and proved everybody wrong. And I think this is a case where San Jose state thinks that they're better than ball state 
but I think Ball State, like I said, can make the adjustments necessary for the Spartans. I, uh, I, I, I see Ball State win by three, having Drew Plitt just cap off, uh, leading them to a field goal winning drive to cap off, to cap off and write off uh, his uh, Ball State uh, legacy and glory. I see that happening, and Tyler Stock to be able to just make adjustments to get things done because I think I think San Jose State looks like the better team in paper, but Ball State all season long has been proving people wrong, and I think this is another case where they're just not not favored to win this matchup. But I think I think they can get it done. Yeah, I you know I, I was looking at the the line and the the movement on the line of this game before we uh, started recording here today, and this is a game that opened up last week whenever the bowl game lines came out uh, San Jose State was a four-point favorite and it's gotten from four all the way up to nine and a half I think nine and a half points in this game is way too many points I think I don't see how you can watch Ball State especially in the conference championship game last week and and think that they're 10 points worse than this San Jose State team I I unfortunately I am going to go with the other side here Sam I do think San Jose State's going to pull this game out just because I do think that that passing attack that they have uh, with with Nick Starkle and Bailey Gaither and, and Trey Walker, uh, they're two leading receivers. I don't know if Ball State's going to have all the answers there. I think this is a high scoring game. I do think Ball State keeps it within a touchdown, but I'm going to say that San Jose State pulls this one out. I'm going to go 31 to 28 Spartans. I think this is going to be a back and forth game with a lot of points. I just think at the end of the game, I, I, I see San Jose State with just a little bit more gas left in the tank at the end of this one. I hope I'm wrong, though. We'll see what happens. I'd love to see the Mac go 2-0 and in bowl games this year. Hey, I, I mean, with the disrespect the Mac has been with in bowl games, not having uh, Western Michigan one and watching these just terrible bowl games, I think – I think if we get it done, I, I, I think it would uh, prove a lot of people wrong. Yeah, no doubt. I also, you know, you mentioned some of these bowl games that have been on. I'm, I'm these two Mac games and like some of these games between mid-major teams that actually had good seasons. I'm so much more excited to watch those games than watch, you know, some of these power five teams that get in with, you know, a, a sub 500 record. I think that's crazy. But nonetheless, I, I don't need to get off on a rant there. Um, but so uh, this will kind of put a close a book on the football season here for us is obviously this ball state game is the last football game of the season. So, um, well, you know, as, as the coming months come, you know, we'll, we'll obviously spend some time talking about recruiting and, you know, previewing next year and stuff like that. But for now, uh, unfortunately, this is going to be our, our last Mac football game of the year. So hopefully the Cardinals can send us out on a high note uh, with football winding down, though. Uh, you know, we got basketball season picking up here in uh, in full swing. So. Uh, since our last episode came out last week on Thursday, there haven't been any women's games. There's only been uh, two men's games, uh, only one conference game. So not a ton uh, that has changed here in, in the last week uh, of the Mac uh, in basketball, men's or women's. Um, let's take a look at the standings here real quick, though. Um, we'll start. Uh, you know, what, why don't we start on the women's side here today, Sam? We, we can take a look at the women's. Um, women's standings. Now, again, nothing has changed really since last week. You know, we, we talked uh, about the teams at the top of the conference, Bowling Green, Buffalo, Central Michigan, Kent State, all sitting atop the conference at 2-0 and right now. Um, Sam, is any anything that you're kind of looking forward to or any storylines you're going to be following moving forward on, on the women's side? I think we we touched on it earlier. It's just the the two and O teams. To be frank, we have four two and O teams: Bowling Green, Buffalo, Central Michigan, Kent State. I think a lot of people expected Central Michigan to do two and O, and uh, maybe Bowling Green, but Kent State and Buffalo really showing themselves. I, I'm real high on this uh, Buffalo team this year. They're really showing themselves that not only the the men can do it, but the the women are are having a um, having a uh, good season as well. I think I'm just going to be following the storylines of the the undefeated team so far. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with that. I'm also, you know, we have those four undefeated teams at the top of the conference that we've talked about, obviously. Um, I, the other team that I still have my eye on and that I want to see um, how they're able to per, you know, perform over the next couple of weeks here as we get further into conference play. I really have my eyes on Ohio. You know, they they kind of, um, you know, they they started the season on a high with that that non-conference win against um, against Notre Dame. Now they're first in the MAC in scoring at seventy nine point six points per game, and they're um, they have the top two leading scorers individually in the conference on their team right now with. Um, 
Uh, let me see. I'm looking at my stats here uh, with Sierra Hooks and, and Erica Johnson. You know, Sierra Hooks leads the conference in 25.6 points per game. Erica Johnson right behind her at 24.4. This is a team that can really, really score the ball. And I think if they're able to figure figure things out on the other end and, and you know, get some stops and, and you know, play some some good defense. This is a team that is going to be there at the end of the year. Uh, they're going to be right there at the top of the conference with those four teams that have started four and zero. Oh. Uh, like I said, their downfall right now is that they're twelfth in the, they're last in the conference in scoring defense. They're scoring seventy nine point six points a game, but they're giving up seventy nine point two. So I think this is a team that if they can kind of get things together on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be right there at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, you mentioned uh, their losses at Kent State uh, and West Virginia. So their their losses haven't been terrible. You you have that one against Notre Dame to build off. You have uh, wins against Liberty and NIU. So I think you're definitely right that they're a team to look out for. That You have two players basically contending for MAC Player of the Year and uh, CC Hooks and um, who's the other person? Um, uh, Sierra Johnson. Sierra Johnson. So you definitely have the talent um, there. And I think you're right where you're you're sitting there, you're Ohio fan, you're Ohio Bobcat fan, that you're definitely excited for this team because you only have two losses that are against solid programs and you have you have the talent necessary. It's just like you said, the defense lacking the last in the uh, scoring defense. So you definitely have to turn that around. But you definitely have the scoring there. So I think if you're Ohio, you just have the defense figured out, you have a real shot at, at, to be a contender in this uh, MAC conference. Yeah, no doubt. And and the other thing is rebounding margin, right? I mean, Ohio's 11th in the conference in rebounding margin. They're out getting, getting out-rebounded by 5.6 rebounds per game. Then at the top of the conference, you got Buffalo and Kent State and some of those other teams that we've already mentioned. You know, Buffalo's plus nine, Kent State's plus 2.6. Buffalo's last game out against Western Michigan, they had 60 rebounds in that game. So that, I mean, I think those are the things that the Ohio is going to have to um, to figure out. Looking as we look forward into um, the the you know the upcoming schedule, um, you know women the the conference season really gets kind of back into full swing here over the next few days. Uh, we mentioned Ohio, a huge game on Saturday coming up for the Bobcats. Uh, Central Michigan, the Chippewas tra- make the trip from Mount Pleasant down to Ohio to take on the Bobcats. That game's on Saturday at one o'clock. Sam, that's a big game right there uh, for being so early in the conference season. So, yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, how early it is. It's definitely a game to watch. You have two two excellent programs uh, going at it. You have the the duo in Ohio, as we mentioned you see you we've seen the dominance that central michigan has had if they can keep it up they're definitely a a contender i would say at this point four and two sitting at two and oh it's definitely a a fun game we're gonna have to watch yeah it really is and i think it's one of those games where i think you're gonna see potentially you know a lot of points in that game you know we mentioned erica johnson and, and sierra hooks are the top two scorers in the conference well michaela kelly from central michigan is third she's right there with uh with 23 points a game. So I do think that, um, like I said, I think this is going to be a high scoring game. Uh, This is going to be a a fun game to watch. Ohio's first in the conference in points per game. Central Michigan is tied for third at 74.7. So a lot of points in this game, Sam. Um, Anything uh, from your perspective, any games you're looking to have your eye on this weekend on the women's side? Um, I think I think we touched on it with the uh, the uh, Miami at uh, Central Michigan game. You have Western Michigan at Buffalo game. I think that's a key game uh, uh, going on. But yeah, I th- I think that that about wraps it up. Yeah. So um, really, a, a big couple of days for the women's basketball uh, side of things for the MAC here. As like I said, they've kind of taken a week off here over the last week. Um, but the uh, here on Saturday, the second, we, we do have six games uh, tipping off this Saturday. So um, just to run down through those quickly for you, Kent State taking on Eastern Michigan at noon, Central Michigan going to Ohio at one o'clock, Western Michigan going to Northern Illinois, Buffalo taking on Miami, Akron taking on Toledo and Bowling Green taking on Ball State. Again, all of those games are on uh, Saturday, all available on the ESPN Plus platform. Let's move over to the men's side real quick. And um, there have been a a couple of men's games this week. Um, Yesterday, in fact, uh, on December 29th, 
uh, Keno Davis and the Central Michigan went down to Ypsilanti and took on Eastern Michigan. And um, I tell you what, I did not expect this result. Uh, it's 33-28 Central Michigan at halftime, and they came out and just ran the Eagles out of the gym in the second half. Central Michigan uh, ends up with an 87-60 to victory over the Eagles uh, at, in Ypsilanti on the Eagles' home court. Uh, Sam, like I said, that that result really surprised me. I, I watched Eastern Michigan. Uh, or I'm sorry, I watched Central Michigan get get blown out by Western Michigan last week, and so I didn't expect to see that performance from the Chippewas yesterday. Yeah, I I was really surprised as well as you are. We've seen Central Michigan really have just an up and down season so far. We we saw the result against a D3 school where they lost by 19. And then you have a double-digit loss to a fellow Max school in Western Michigan. And then they have this result against Eastern Michigan. Maybe they're a streaky team, or maybe it's just uh, how bad Eastern Michigan is this season. I'm not really sure at this point. It's it's still it's I'm still making up my mind about Central Michigan each game just because I can't I don't know whether this team is halfway decent or whether this was just a, a, a bad Eastern Michigan team playing them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I I'm in the same boat with you there. I honestly, whenever I saw the, this game uh, yesterday morning, when I saw this game was, was on, I, I saw that Eastern Michigan was favored and I figured that they were going to win this game just based on, I was only basing that auto off of my, what I knew of central Michigan thus far, which the only thing I'd really seen from them was that Western Michigan game a couple weeks back where they did not look good at all. I think as I look at this game and from what I watched uh, of this game, this to me was more about how poorly Eastern Michigan played than anything central Michigan did. I mean, Eastern Michigan shot 38% from the field, 32% from three, they had 17 turnovers in this game. You know, I just, I, there wasn't much that was working for the Eagles uh, yesterday in this game, central Michigan, they seem to me to be very, very guard dependent. And if their guards are hitting their shots, then they, they can, you know, they'll, they'll pull up some upsets. Like, so yesterday, you know, Mikel Murray from central Michigan, uh, he had his best game of the season. Uh, he was uh, eight for 14 from the field. He had 18 points and seven rebounds. And then, uh, Ter- Trayvon Broadway Jr. as well. He also had a great game yesterday. He's averaging 15 points a game right now, and he had also his his best performance of the season yesterday. He was seven for nine from the field for 21 points. So it seems like they're one of those teams. They're a jump shooting team, and if their shots are falling, they can win some games. But if their shots aren't falling, there's not a lot of else that they're good at. Yeah, I think I think the next two key next two games are going to be key for Central Michigan. You have that at Akron game on the first of January, and then you you follow that up with on the fifth playing Bowling Green. Obviously, we know two of the top Maxwells. We just saw we just talked about Akron and how dominant they were getting that uh, twenty point win against uh, Ohio was, I believe it was. So. So these next two games, I think, are going to be key for Central Michigan to figure out who they are, where they kind of stand in the MAC. Yeah, that's a great point, Sam. I mean, you got two back-to-back games um, against two, you know, on the road against two of the best teams in the conference. I, I agree with you. This is a chance for Central Michigan to kind of turn things around here. You know, you you mentioned the the loss to the D two school Flagler, and you know they also got blown out by Western Michigan. Other than that, though, I mean, you look at their results, and they they aren't terrible. Uh, at least recently, you know, they lost their first three games at start to the year and they're five and one since then. So perhaps Central Michigan is uh, trending upward a little bit here. We take a look at the men's standings. Uh, Central Michigan now finds themselves kind of in the middle. Uh, them, Buffalo and Western Michigan all sitting there in the middle of the pack at one and one. Toledo and Ball State atop the conference at two and oh. Bowling Green and Akron both one and oh. Uh, Kent State has yet to play a conference game because they've been dealing with some COVID issues. Um, and then Ohio, Miami, Eastern Michigan, and Northern Illinois all sitting at the bottom of the standings, uh, all winless right now. Sam, um, say I'll ask you the same question I asked you uh, on, on the women's side. Anything that you're looking at right now on the men's side, any storylines you're following, anything like that that you're looking forward to over the next few months? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Buffalo. I think Buffalo is be- better than their record shows. The losses that they had, they had against Army, Bowling Green, and Syracuse. Syracuse that they had that one before uh, slowly losing yeah. it. 
I think I think Buffalo. You should you saw in that a win against my own Miami, Ohio, how good they are in that twenty eight point victory. They got a uh, their next game is uh, after since St. Bonaventure was canceled with Ball State on the night. So you've got a lot of time in between the Syracuse game and the Ball State game. But I think this Buffalo Bulls team is a lot better than their their record shows. Yeah, I I agree with you completely there, Sam. I think um, I think a lot of people kind of maybe I don't want to say wrote them off, but maybe dropped them down a peg a few weeks ago after they lost to Bowling Green in their first MAC game. But they have really bounced well, bounced back well from that. The two two teams that I'm going to be watching right now moving forward are two teams that I think are going to be going in different directions, and actually uh, two teams that are be, going to be tipping off here uh, today in just a couple hours, and that's Bowling Green and Ohio. I think Ohio, you know, I think we, we got perhaps a little bit of an inflated impression of Ohio um, after that performance they had against Illinois, where they almost knocked off the fighting Illini in Champaign. And then the week, the game, their next time out after that was when they played Cleveland state and they went on that 40 to nothing run and beat Cleveland state by 50 points. I think after those two games, we were a little bit high. We, you know, we were kind of high on Ohio, but since then they've kind of come back to earth a little bit. They've lost their last two, both by double digits. They went to Marshall uh, last week and lost by 14. And then their next time out after that was that Akron game that we mentioned where they lost by 20. They seem like they've come back to earth a little bit on the other side of the fence. You got Bowling Green who um, really had one really, really bad performance uh, two weeks ago against Wright State. They were down by 30 points at halftime in that game and ended up losing by 18. They Their last time out against Robert Morris, they they got they righted the ship and, and won that game by 20. So this game, to me, between Bowling Green and Ohio feels like a big game for both teams because Ohio, like I said, they seem to be trending in the wrong direction. And I'm interested to see if they're going to be able to kind of correct the ship. Bowling Green seems like they've maybe overcome that one bad performance against Wright State a few weeks back. And it seems like they're kind of found their footing again and are trending upward. So I want to watch this game and see how these two teams respond today. And I'm going to be keeping track of them moving forward. Yeah, I, th- I think you mentioned Ohio perfectly. I think we may have jumped on the bandwagon a little bit too early. We saw the amazing play of Jason Preston and Vanderplas and just just kind of just was just jumped on the bandwagon essentially and I, I think it was a little bit too early you mentioned it, they've kind of come back to down to earth Bowling Green's had that one loss against Wright State but other than that they've really come through wins against Appalachian State uh, wins against Buffalo they obviously had the the Michigan loss which doesn't look good but it's Michigan at the end of the day they beat Ball State and uh, several other max schools by double digits so you can't really fault them against that but other than the right say Michigan uh, game, they've really had really solid performances. I think, uh, like you said, this Ohio game is going to determine a lot. And yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, certainly. So there's, we're going to have a lot more hoops to talk about next week, guys. You know, we, um, we've been following it, obviously. It's just been with, with non-conference schedules and everything else going on right now, wrapping up football season. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to re- dedicate a ton of time to basketball thus far, but now with football wrapping up and the conference season really starting to kick in on the basketball side of things. We, we will be uh, focusing a lot more on hoops here over the next couple of months on the men's side uh, this weekend. Like I mentioned, conference play really gets going in earnest again. Uh, we have Ohio and Bowling Green playing today on Wednesday, this afternoon at 2 p.m. On Friday, New Year's Day, Central Michigan taking on Akron. Um, at Akron. And then on Saturday, we have a, a, a nice slate of games. Toledo traveling up to Kalamazoo to take on Western Michigan. Uh, Ohio taking on Ball State in Muncie. Kent State traveling up to Ypsilanti to take on Eastern Michigan. And Bowling Green traveling to DeKalb to take on Northern Illinois. Sam, I got to ask you about your Cardinals here. They're sitting at the top of the conference. You know, you're, you're, you're two and oh, four and three overall. Um, haven't played since that nice win comeback win against Western Michigan last week. How do you feel about the Cardinals moving forward? Oh, uh, shaky. I'm going to be honest, like conference play. We really look strong, whether it's the game against Western Michigan or Northern Illinois, we've looked really strong, but then it's games against where we lose by 10 to Indiana state. It just worries me. We have losses, uh, against uh, Northern Kentucky, that worries me. We barely beat UIC. We obviously had the loss against Michigan by 19. So 
Uh, shaky at best. I think I think uh, we we really shown that we can hang with the conference, maybe not the non-conference. I think I'm very confident that we can uh, maintain kind of this uh, solid, maybe not perfect, but a solid, uh, uh, respectable record in the the conference. Yeah, no, no doubt. And a big game for the Cardinals coming up on Saturday is uh, Jason Preston and the Bobcats. Uh, travel to Muncie so be interesting to see how uh, the Cardinals play there and if they're able to pick up their third conference win and uh, with that I think that's going to wrap up this show here today guys Sam anything that we miss anything else uh, you wanted to talk about before we let everyone go one follow-up to we we, we uh, said the Jared Patterson declaring for the NFL draft and Antonio Nunn declaring for the NFL draft but I don't think we talked about uh, also Malcolm Coots from Buffalo is also declaring for the NFL draft so for you Buffalo fans, uh, not only on the offensive side of the ball are you losing talent, but now on the defensive side of the ball you are uh, losing some talent. That is tough. I, I had missed that story. So, yeah, you know what? This is a uh, – anytime you have success like Buffalo has, I think you're going to expect these things to happen. So, uh, Malcolm Coons is a guy on the defensive side of the ball that's been really good for a couple years now for the Bulls. So, there's another guy that uh, I think we could potentially see getting drafted uh, in the mid to late rounds come in April. Um, in uh, in the NFL draft. So, well, uh, guys, that'll wrap us wrap it up for us here this week. Uh, he is Sam Philman. I am Zach Follador. Thank you, as always, for stopping by the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast. We thank you so much for the support, and we will talk to you guys next week. Have a great one. <laughs>